Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for March 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our one of two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed. We use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, including all the incredible checks and balances, one of the great peaceful solutions we have at our fingertips. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Yesterday, we had an incredible interview with Michael Peruka, Maryland-based constitutional attorney. He's the founder of the Institute on the Constitution. He's with a group called TheAmericanView.com. The guy does a great, great job. Pray, study, act are the phrases on his website. He says, right action follows right thinking. And I couldn't agree with that more, ladies and gentlemen. Think about that incredible wisdom, right? Um, right thought precedes right action. Boy, that's just wise, isn't it, folks? Really, really good stuff, in my opinion, from Michael Perutka. Great, great interview. Uh, he always does great interviews. But this one was especially good. We talked about the Donald Trump scenario. George Soros-funded Manhattan DA Alvin Braggs. Uh, they funded his campaign with a million dollars, ladies and gentlemen, as he pledged to jail the Donald. Now, what's interesting about all this is how come you and I are locked down to a certain amount of campaign donations, but George can just do whatever he wants? Um, isn't George a foreigner? How do they get that done? This aggressive prosecutor receives over a million dollars from George Soros through a group called Color of Change, a progressive criminal justice reform organization. They're not justice reform, folks. How does all this money go everywhere to these politicians and bureaucrats? Bragg must ask the grand jury to vote on whether to charge Donald Trump. A simple majority is all that's required to hand up an indictment, just so you know. But I look at that and I go, hmm, Bragg's got to decide to do it. And the jury then has to vote on doing it. Uh, very, very strange how this happens. Where's the due process for Donald Trump? Yeah, they say Trump, to be indicted, will ask, they will ask him for an arraignment next week. So he won't really be arrested, just indicted. Trump indictment delayed after grand jury schedules additional witness. We talked about that. Soros-funded D.A. Alvin Bragg got caught hiding nearly 600 pages of exculpatory evidence from the New York grand jury in the Trump case, ladies and gentlemen. Jim Hoft with the Gateway Pundit with that piece. So we got all kinds of problems with this case. Then we have a letter now uh, that uh, Michael Cohen wrote saying he paid Stormy Daniels or Stephanie Clifford uh, and Trump didn't have anything to do with it. Now he reverses himself and makes a claim. You can't trust Cohen. So with those 
600 pages of exculpatory evidence withheld, plus this scandal relating to Michael Cohen and the new letter being brought forth, the jury being delayed over this. I don't know what's going on, folks, but there's twists and turns in this like you wouldn't believe. Rand Paul says a Trump indictment would be, would be a disgusting abuse of power. Alvin Bragg should be put in jail, says Senator Rand Paul. Chris Rock says arresting Trump is only going to heighten his popularity. Trump has called on his supporters to protest ahead of a possible indictment. I don't think people should do that. They're going to basically poison the well for you protesters. Trust you me. Go ask the Charlottesville people who are in prison. Go ask the folks that went to January 6th that are in prison. I believe in your right to peacefully assemble and to protest, if you will. But that right has been absolutely poisoned, ladies and gentlemen, until we can get a handle on this. We're in serious trouble because the government seems to be in bed with the criminals. Yeah, Tucker Carlson says the DOJ was not just after Donald Trump, but after everyone who voted for the Donald. And that is the quintessential point I'm making. The government's in on this scandal, poisoning the well, agent provocateurs, betraying the rest of us, and then putting people in jail as if they're guilty of some kind of a, a treasonous, insurrectionist act, right? It's all a lie, folks, but people are getting trapped, right? Even Amber Mundy got trapped when he went to the Mount Hero Wildlife Refuge uh, with agent provocateurs in his midst. Do you see the pattern from your government, ladies and gentlemen, in bed with literal criminals? The media literally lies directly from the start on so many topics it's not even funny. One of them relates to the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Okay, They claim that we say sheriffs are above the law. Sheriffs can do whatever they want and ignore any law they want to. That's an absolute lie. What is federal law, ladies and gentlemen? The answer is it's the supreme law of the land. And anything that manipulates, circumvents, infringes upon undermines literally the supreme law of the land is null and void on its face. So uh, Sam talks, that's me yesterday, talks about hero Texas sheriffs who exert authority over federal or state pretend legislation. You see, when a governor says, I'm going to deny your right to keep and bear arms or that right's going to be infringed like Governor Pritzker did in Illinois. 90-plus out of 102 sheriffs of the state of Illinois, the li very liberal state, are saying, no, not happening. Because Pritzker doesn't have authority, you see. So they're not thinking they're above the law. They're just merely saying Pritzker has a law that conflicts with the supreme law. And we swore an oath to the supreme law. Therefore, Pritzker's law on its face is null and void. It's been nullified. Right? Anyway, then we talked about Donald Trump claims he's going to shatter the deep state with 10 ideas. I say not, and I spend the time really attacking the Donald. Okay, Donald says he's going to reform the FISA court. This secret court is unconstitutional. Okay, it was created in 1978, supposedly to stop foreign terrorists, but it's been used manipulatively against the American people. It's completely unconstitutional. So here's the question. What's the law, the FISA law? In 1978 or the supreme law see that's the quintessential discussion battle rages for epstein sex client list gateway pundit doggedly seeks for this good for jim hoft and others over there really going to court and trying to get this list who's on it 
because prosecutions of whoever's on it should take place, right? I don't see it happening, but it certainly needs to. We also talked about change is coming. Beijing and Moscow further cement alliance. Yeah, they're pushing for their own new world order. And the sad part that Donald Trump doesn't understand right now is, look, they're pushing for a new world order, Donald. And no matter what you do, unless you go double down in defense of the supreme law of our land, the Constitution, replete with the checks and balances and everything, the dual sovereignty between the general government with limited powers and the states with very broad powers, unless you double down on that and understand that, you will get sucked into one of the plans for a new world global reordering of all governments, a global governance that circumvents all sovereign nations. That's what they're aiming for, Donald. I don't know if you realize that. I know on the surface you understand it, but I don't know if you have the knowledge and the common sense to combat it, to stick a fork in it once and for all, to kill the beast, if you will. Okay, the only way you can do that is with honest money, constitutional currency, and with using the checks and balances that make America a truly sovereign nation, protecting the country from enemies foreign and domestic. But none of your planks would get that done, Donald. None of them. Now, Ron DeSantis said he wouldn't get involved in what he called the manufactured circus, but now DeSantis is kind of attacking Trump. Trump's attacking DeSantis. It's becoming a side clown show, folks. Amazon, meanwhile, is going to lay off 9,000 corporate and tech workers by the end of April. That's in addition to the 18,000 they laid off over the last couple of months. That's 27,000 key jobs from a big tech modern-day company. It's a disaster, to say the least. We also talked about China's new DNA-based bioweapons target specific ethnic groups and races. Facts matter, ladies and gentlemen. The Epic Times with the piece. Is anybody else talking about that? Or are we just too busy with the, the Ron and Don Clown show? Neither Ron nor Don have the knowledge to save this country. Neither of them are surrounded by good people. Now they're saying Ron needs to get better handlers. He's making some buffoon-style mistakes. Well, so is Donald. They both have been doing so for a long time because, folks, they're not grounded in the principles that can save this country. Religion and morality are the two great supports. Let's start there. Then the checks and balances are critical. Due process is critical. All right, there you have it. Now, Tennessee doing a pretty good job. They became the first state to prohibit drag shows in places where children may be present, and a bunch of red states are trying to follow suit. Good for all them. The legislation gaining momentum through 14 states now is a part of a broader battle throughout the country over exposing children to all kinds of perverted gender manipulations that smacks of pornography, etc. We also talked about Elon Musk called it a serious attack on the Constitution by a federal agency. We're talking about the Daily Wire. America's ready for a four-day work week, many say. Some 71% of Americans say they support the concept of a four-day work week. And 83% say they believe they could get their work done in four days a week. 
We've got more. We'll talk about it in a second. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to localhoneyman.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at localhoneyman.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. True Passover versus Easter. The Catholic Church and most denominations follow the Jewish Passover. Here is the Jewish tradition. The Passover takes place 14 days after the new moon, after the equinox. But what does God say? In Isaiah 1 verse 14, quote, Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. Unquote. Now notice God's word versus Jewish tradition. Quote, in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Unquote. That's from Leviticus 23, verse 5. God's year begins on the spring equinox. Passover is always on the fourteenth day of God's year, the fourteenth day after the equinox. The Sunday after the Passover is Resurrection Sunday. None of this is about fertility, which is exactly what Easter is all about. Easter Bunny and Eggs, Fertility Rights, are Paganism. All right, the nation is talking about a four-day work week, ladies and gentlemen. 71% of Americans believe they could get their work done in four days. Um, 86, or, I'm sorry, 71 believe a four-day week is, is very possible and they would embrace it. 86% say they believe they could get their work done in four days. Chick-fil-A owner institutes a three-day work week. Everyone knows about Chick-fil-A's policy of being closed on Sunday. Um, they're being criticized because they could make a lot more money if they were open on Sundays. But you know what? In my opinion, Chick-fil-A stands tall, claims closing our business on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is our way of honoring God. And showing our loyalty to him, Chick-fil-A founder said. So there you have that. What do you say to that? Brian Rust with me. RustQuinnandGift.com. Welcome. What do you say to a four-day work week, sir? Uh, glad to be with you, Sam. Yeah, hey, why not? I, I'm more time with family and, and maybe catch up. My wife would probably like that. Now, the interesting thing about that is that doesn't mean businesses have to close uh, three days a week. That's not what they're saying because you can have people overlap ships. You know, one day you could work Monday through Thursday. The next week you could work, say, Tuesday through Saturday or Friday or whatever. What I mean is you could stagger uh, a lot of the employees is the intent. Uh, we could discuss how many hours per day they're going to work, et cetera. Kelly Finnegan, com is here and welcome as well. What do you say to a four-day work week, sir? Well, I actually worked a three-day work week. They were 12-hour days, and that was really rough. And you can get some stuff done, but you can't do it very well. Uh, most people, four-day work week, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, the state of Utah is trying that. It's not working out so great. 
Yeah, part of the reason is they're not staggering people properly. I have a completely different viewpoint, and I'm going to give it to you and tell you, see what you guys think about this. Number one, I don't think the government should mandate any of this at all. Uh, for the employers, people should be able to decide for themselves. RustCoinandGift.com, the owner there, Brian Rust is his name. Uh, you got a friend in the honest money business, folks. But Brian should decide that for your company, Brian. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I think, you know, you you got to look at your you know, your business and what works and, and the, the amount of money that you generate to, to pay bills and to your overhead and so on. And, and so I think it's different for each each company out there. Yeah, but I Here's right. what yeah, I, I don't to want do. the government telling me. Let me give you a couple of stats, and, then, and let me just tell you what I try to do in my own personal life. I, I know I work more than this, but I really try to cut it down to this. The average worker, I don't know if you know this, there's new studies that are out that say the average worker only spends four hours and 12 minutes actively working during an eight-hour shift. Why? Because you got to go to the bathroom, you got lunch, you got this, you got that, you got, <laughs> and they really only spend about four hours. And you see the same thing in school where a kid's gone to school, you know, seven hours a day. They only get like three hours and 40 minutes of education in those seven-plus hours because, again, you've got to go to the bathroom. You walk down the hall and someone distracts you. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, they also say there's new facts that are out. The average I'm, – I'm sorry, the maximum productive hour of an employee is six. Even the most productive workers – are wasting two hours during a typical workday. They can't help it. People cannot concentrate at such a high level for long, long, long periods of time. So you got to ask yourself, how long is the average workday? In America, we've decided that it's 40 hours, uh, and we've decided that you know in that 40 hours you're gonna you're gonna work five eighths. Um, then a lot of people went to four tens, or they went to you know three twelves, or whatever. I don't believe people can concentrate that long. And I believe the Lord says, by the sweat of thy brow shalt thou work six days, and the seventh day thou shalt rest. So I believe in kind of six-hour days, six days a week idea. Um, you know what? If everybody did that and you were to stagger people's hours, almost every business could be open with two shifts, 12 hours a day. Pretty long day. Uh, but people would work half the time, half the time. Uh, and then, you know what? You wouldn't need to take days off to go to the doctor because you've got plenty of time during the open hours. You wouldn't need to have a lot of days off because, you know what, six hours goes by quick. You work from 6 a.m., you get off at noon. You go at 9 a.m., you get off at 3 or whatever. You go at noon and you get off at 6. I just believe that, you know what, more around-the-clock work. That's why I do Liberty Roundtable Live six days a week now. You know what, it doesn't hurt to work a little extra, um, but more around-the-clock and get more flexibility in your day. That way you can catch up on your sleep. That way you can get all your laundry and your personal chores and things done if you have to work on your insurance or your doctors or this or that or get grocery all those things can happen if people just had that flexibility in their day and shorter work days not necessarily work weeks have a longer work week shorter work day that's my personal opinion brian yeah i think it's a good one sam i you know i think that we uh we get to work you know now that we have all this social stuff right in front of us on this little computer that we hold in our hand I think people can't just leave it. They can't. They they can't drive down. You know, I come to work. I'm ten minutes away or whatever, and I see that how many people just have to be on that phone while they're driving. They can't. They, and so at work they come. They, I you know you you know we're looking at our uh, phones all the time. What's happening at home? What's doing? I mean, we, they just you know go to the bathroom. They sit there and they're there longer than they should be probably because they're playing on their phone or whatever. And, and that's one of the biggest problems too. I think. 
Amen to that. I just believe that a shorter day really works well. And you say, well, what happens when somebody does have to take a day off, Sam? I think it's no problem at all. Because I think that you could reduce a lot of the lengthy vacations. A lot of the school people are off nine months out of the year. I mean, I'm sorry, they go to school and their school teachers nine months out of the year, three months out of the year. You know, they're not really doing a whole lot of work. Or over Christmas, you know, there's two long weeks of a holiday and all this kind of stuff. I personally think that, hey, you could reduce a lot of those lengthy things. You could have a lot of people take off a day here and there on a Monday or a Friday and get three-day weekends quite often. And you still wouldn't decrease, uh, really, overall, many of the hours that you're working. And the hours would be so much more productive. It would be amazing. What do you say, Kelly? It's amazing. You know, it used to be six six day work week and it was about 10 hour days. Those people work, you know, I think of my great grandpa working six days a week, 10 hours a day in a mine, you know, and how hard a work that was and then have to walk home and walk to work every day. So yeah, six hours a day is great because then you have a lot of time to do other things, be with your family, watch whatever TV show you want to do, work more time for a hobby, things like that that you can actually spend that time on. I've, I've always been for that. So, Sam, aren't there countries? I talked to missionaries and stuff that would go and, and they served in South America or other places, and, and they would stop, uh, you know, maybe proselyting for certain times because people were doing siestas and, and they'd close the shop, so they'd go take that and things like that. Is that still happening? I, I don't yeah. know. I just bring it up. Yeah, South it America is happening. When I was there. Yeah, it was go that ahead, way. Kelly. You know, usually from about 1130 until 230, they were closed every day. And everybody went home, and they had lunch, and then they had a little nap during the day. Yeah, and you could literally open your business 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., say 11 to 1, you're closed, and then 1 to 4, you know, if you wanted shorter hours. Or you could open your business and have a two-hour lunch, two shifts of six hours. Now you're literally with a break in the middle open for a 14-hour window. There's a lot of ways this could really happen very, very flexibly. Uh, Anyway, I don't want to go on about this forever, but I just think we need to think more like that look when they used to work six twelves or six tens just crazy hours i agree that was psychotic but if you were six days a week six hours a day and could take a day off when you needed it you would instantly open up a whole lot of, i mean you would literally because you'd have two shifts for the most part or overlapping shifts depending on um you would literally make it to where the traffic would decrease on the roads doctor's offices would be easier to get into whenever you went to the DMV or any of these other places, because people would be spread out much more. People would be able to do their work instead of everybody just going, oh, my gosh, the only day I can do this is this day or whatever. You would spread it all out and distribute traffic and distribute the wait times and loads so much better if we could just do some of this stuff. And then if a lot more people could work from home, you could really change the game. But you know what? Let's get into the Honest Money Report. Where's gold sitting, Brian? Gold sitting at nineteen eighty three thirty. Nineteen eighty three thirty. Yep, that's up a teeny bit, right? That's uh, that's actually from yesterday. It it was sitting at nineteen fifty, so it's up about thirty so dollars today. Because yeah, for a week ago, it's up about fifty bucks. Nineteen eighty three thirty silver. Uh, twenty three twenty one. And that's up by a couple of bucks, right? Well, it is over the last little, yeah, bouncing up and downs. We've seen 21s. We've seen, yeah. So it's, yeah. Kelly, what do you say to that? Well, thank you, Jay Powell. You know, he had to put in that that quarter percent, you know, rate 
raising the interest rate because they couldn't, after all these banks failing, they couldn't just stop or, you know, it would, it would look like they're reacting and they had to, to do this. Now it'll be, this is the quarter percent and now they're going to stop. They'll stop probably for the rest of the year now. Yeah. Then, some people say wall street's burning, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> they're killing it. They're killing it. What did, what did he say about policy firming? Isn't that what he, uh, we're going to firm up the policies. Is that kind of his thought? <laughs> yeah. yeah Paul Volcker reincarnated. and He's got to grow about <laughs> four more inches. Fed hikes benchmark interest rate for the ninth time in a row. Raises by a quarter point. What does that look like on the other side? We'll talk about it. RussQuentinGift.com with your honest money report. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. President Biden hosts an anniversary event for the Affordable Care Act with Vice President Kamala Harris in the East Room at 1 p.m. Eastern. The President and the First Lady depart Joint Base Andrews en route to Ottawa, Canada at 5 p.m., The president will participate in a private gathering hosted by Prime Minister Trudeau tonight. Foot Locker is planning to close more than 400 of its stores in malls. The shutdowns are coming as the athletic shoe and sportswear retailer adjusts its business to connect with niche markets. Foot Locker executives said this week that the company's lace-up plan is aimed at resetting its business and growing its total revenue to $9.5 billion by 2026. Under the plan, Foot Locker will diversify its brand portfolio and embrace new standalone store formats that offer a wider selection of products. I'm Skip Kelly. A newly surfaced letter from 2018 shows Michael Cohen lying to federal election officials about his infamous $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, which later helped send him to prison. The letter obtained by the New York Post yesterday came about as the disbarred lawyer appeared ready to become the star witness in a criminal case against former President Trump. The Federal Reserve approved another quarter percentage point interest rate increase, but signaled that some banking system failures might end its rate rise campaign sooner than likely. The decision yesterday marked the Fed's ninth consecutive rate increase aimed at fighting America's inflation over the past year. The move took the benchmark federal funds rate to a range between 4.75 and 5%, the highest level since September of 2007. Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Our banking system is sound and resilient with strong capital and liquidity. We will continue to closely monitor conditions in the banking system and are prepared to use all of our tools as needed to keep it safe and sound. This is USA News. Hi, this is Joe Cordell with the law firm Cordell & Cordell. When the prospect of divorce becomes a reality, you need a partner that you can count on. If you're a man in this situation, consider contacting Cordell & Cordell. We've helped men navigate complex legal matters for 30 years. Contact Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firms online at CordellCordell.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. Online at CordellCordell.com. CordellCordell.com. Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. You guys have a great product, and I tell my friends about it, and I was actually talking to a guy the other day I just met, and he, he takes them. So you put out a great product, and I want to thank you and your, your organization. I just started using it, and my family's already seen the difference. 
and I have uh, health issues. I have fibromyalgia, asthma, but all of a sudden everything's clearing up and I'm feeling better and my skin's better. My Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Kelly Finnegan and Brian Rust. RustConnegan.com. You've got a friend in the honest money business. This is the Honest Money Report, ladies and gentlemen. So, Kelly, for the ninth time in a row, they hiked interest rates a quarter of a point. Stocks are down on the news. People are panicking, going, wait a minute, banks are failing and you're raising interest rates. You guys are walking a fine line, and if you're not very careful, it's going to blow up in your face. My problem is, who gave the government authority to manipulate the interest rates in the first place? Unfortunately, we did, because nobody put up a fight. We just whimpered and said we'd take it. Ouch, you know, the, yeah. The, the president of the Senate. <laughs> so the by Senate hook or by crook, we'd done it to ourselves, didn't we, sir? Yep, yep, we did it. But the president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, she said, Inflation doesn't affect me. I make enough money. I don't even notice it. <laughs> yeah, how would it be, Brian? Yeah, how would it be? Yeah, why don't we talk to somebody that it really does affect? Uh, I, I kind of found it interesting when he said uh, sound and resilient. Our banking sector is sound and resilient. Really? I mean, let's, let's pay. Let's look at the whole system out there and just man, why did why did Silicon Valley fail? Why did why did I mean, I mean, it's it's unreal. We've seen repeated, you know, damage over the years by bigger banks that have failed and and uh, you know out of control spending. Our, our government can't even get a grip on that, what they're doing. So I, I don't know. You tell me. Is it sound and resilient? There you have it. I just find this whole thing crazy. When I look at it, I just go, "What the heck on earth are we thinking and doing?" Uh, they're going to teeter this thing. What ha- the reason that they're going to um, mess this thing up like they always do is because the reality of the data follows. In other words, it lags uh, any reporting or any education you can have on the matter. Therefore, you can't, with foresight, determine reality. Okay, and that's the problem, folks. All right, now listen to this reality check. There's a guy with a um, huge hedge fund or whatever group called Man Group. The CEO of that group is a guy by the name of Luke Ellis, and Luke Ellis predicts, he warns that a significant number of banks will fail within two years. He made the comment during a conference in London on March 22nd, Bloomberg documented it, and he believes that the banking crisis is not over. He was asked about that, and he said, it all depends on how you define a crisis. I'm convinced that we're going to have a number of banks that will simply fail. They will not exist 12 or 24 months from now. Uh, They exist today, but they won't in 24 months. This is serious. Okay, and so you look at that, um, Brian, and you go, what the heck? You've got experts now saying, hey, you're going to lose a lot of banks. Well, here's my my prediction i think the government has this engineered intentionally think about it they took over the mortgage industry consolidated that then they take over industry after industry after industry and consolidate it they're now got the banks in their sights well and that's exactly right i mean i think less we we keep preaching less government and and they just want to get their hands into everything and, and it just destroys basically you know even the you know our 
our dreams or whatever we want to accomplish. And, and uh, yeah, and, and that bank is if they destroy it or push it the way they want. Now we're all of a sudden everybody's digital and, and uh, now they're tracking and locking you down. And it's not like you can go and pull some money out of your camp. They just lock it down if they want. They, I mean, it's another control factor that they're just pushing this into. And uh, we're, we, we're I, I, I adedly say each week it's slowly led down to hell. That's kind of, We've heard those. Yeah, words just real slow. Um, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it. Dominoes in slow motion, ladies and gentlemen, intentionally created is what we're seeing. In fact, it's so bad that Senator Ted Cruz just introduced a bill to prevent the Fed from establishing a central bank digital currency. The blaze with the news. He says they don't have authority to do that. Kelly. Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> They, they're they're working without authority anyway, so what's the key thing? <laughs> and, and, and the digital currency, the Fed now is already. If you go to the Federal Reserve's website, it's it's due out in July. It's a right. done deal. <laughs> I signed this two years ago that it's coming out. It's 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 coming out in July. It's a done deal. Yeah, and there's no congressional uh, oversight or uh, any of that kind of stuff, folks. This is just government running, flat out rogue running amok. It's crazy. But now there's a headline that says this, Brian, I find fascinating. The author of this article is Li Ying Cheng, or Li Ying Chan. Has, it says this, gold prices could notch an all-time high and stay there. What do you say to that? Yeah, I, I, I saw that headline or, or whatever. But that's, you know, the honest money, basically, if we go back to what, I mean, since time i mean roman era all that you know they traded in metal you know gold and, and so on and then they established you know a, a backing and we had some some clarification and support on our well i don't know the fiat currency i don't know if it's yeah to support that or what but anyway we need to get back to that because it's it's tradable in the world they're you know these why do these central banks buy up gold and silver they're making so much money on the paper why would they why would they need the gold and silver because they, they realize it's, that might make the difference of them melting down or not. Now, they say yeah. gold prices have more room to rise. It could go as high as 2600 bucks per ounce. Investors have been turning to gold and treasuries simultaneously after the collapse of all these banks. Gold's all-time high, they say, was $2,075 in August 2020. Uh, right. But they say it's going to blast past that, Brian. It is. It's, it's going to go past that. And silver, you know, we've seen 50. And I, I keep telling people, will it go back to 50? Yes. Will it go? I'm pretty conservative. So when it, if, if, if gold's going to 2,400, is silver going to make it to 100? Well, I think, yeah, the demand and panic are going to drive it. That's what's going to happen because another bank fails. Or, or now people are waiting in lines trying to get, you know, money at a bank. Yeah, that panic's going to drive it. Yeah, investors have been flocking to gold, Kelly. That really, uh, right now, gold is the highest it's ever been in Australian dollars, ever. Yeah. So right now, it's already hit the high. Just it hasn't hit in U.S. dollars yet. Right. So other places it has. They say this: the stars are aligning for gold. Now that's an interesting statement because to me, gold just stays as steady as a rock. It seems to me that the. Um, the failure of the dollar is happening, not necessarily the stars aligning for gold, unless you say the stars have been aligned for gold since the beginning of time. Kelly? Gold is the, gold is the North Star. 
it doesn't set, it stays there. You can you can back your life around it. Wow, there you have that, Kelly or, or Brian. What do you think about this then? Um, gold and silver are just so out of whack. You know, gold is um, what eighty times silver at least when you compare it. Uh, it used to be fifteen, then eventually it went to twenty times. But it's so out of whack. If gold goes up that high and silver doesn't pair with it. At some point, you're going to see 120, 130, 150 times, right? That's exactly right. And the problem is that it's, all, it's so out of whack because it's manipulated. You know, if, if they let the markets take care of themselves, it, you know, we wouldn't have this. But, but because the government allowed, there again, we'd say the government jumping into this, let us control this. You know, so then you got, they allow these firms, the J.P. Morgans, the Goldman Sachs, and these to manipulate markets, and they're fined every year. Well, hey, that's a nice kickback to the government. We can spend more. If we find them, and they still make $5 billion, but we get $500 million from each of these companies, look at the spending. We just can keep spending and so on. And so they manipulate that price. And, yeah, if the, if the markets, people keep coming in. Well, hey, I see this on paper that says that gold's 23. I'd really like to buy it at 23 or 22, 21. I said, okay, well, if you could find it, call me because I want to buy as much as I can as well. You can't buy it. They they manipulate the price on paper so that people think that, oh, this is where it really is. It's not where it is. Supply-demand should be driving it, and, and, and a lot of people are starting to see that effect right now, and that's why people are rushing to gold and other – because they don't trust what the government's doing. Brian, are you a gold man or a silver man or both? I, I like, I'm more silver. I think silver will triple before gold doubles, and so I push people there. Plus, it's it's my bartering tool, really. I mean, if, if silver – Eagles right now are 30 bucks or 35 bucks or whatever, and they go to 70 bucks or 90% silver coin dimes and quarters, like or five or six or seven dollars. Yeah, it, it's it's a very doable trade. You know, hey, I want to just trade you some of this, and for I need eggs or I need honey from curd or I need you know those kind of things. It's very doable. Where gold does the same, it protects your paper assets and so on. It just would be a large scale. I mean, if I had to pay, you know, buy a car or something, I could I could do that. Well, I like silver quite a bit uh, as well. Um, uh, you know, the the um, uh, I'm trying to think the the gold back uh, is a new way they've fractionalized uh, some of these gold uh, realities for day to day modern use and stuff like that. I really applaud those efforts, but I think they need to make silver into it as well because if they don't, you know, it's it's pretty easy to get control of most of the gold in the world. It's hard to get control of the gold and the silver. We're going to let Brian yeah. fly comment on that really quick before we let you go. Brian. Yeah, let me let me just mention the gold back. I mean, it's the gold back is is a u- unique uh, oddity, and and we don't know if it'll sustain. We don't realistically even know if it's got gold in it. It's it's fairly new. Plus, you're paying five thousand bucks an ounce. Shoot, I can sell you a one ounce piece for two twenty one hundred for two thousand over. So, it's a new Hang tight, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Brian Kelly. Responds in seconds. The spirit of the American West is live and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues affecting the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like the 2021 Real Buckaroo Calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Decades after Jimmy Carter, Joe Biden picked up where he left off. With America surrendering to terrorists, Biden's foolish spending is causing inflation, which means more pain at the pump, higher prices on groceries, devaluing your retirement savings when you need it most. 
Once was a mistake, twice is a disaster. America needs strong leaders, not weak ones. Save America JFC is responsible for the content of this advertising. As you are aware, America is divided over every fault line possible. This is intentionally fostered by those who do not love God, family, or country. We believe a peaceful future as a free people absolutely depends on civility. Clarion Call for Civility is looking for funding and volunteers at every level to make our hopes and efforts a reality. Please donate, sign our pledge, and help us in our sacred cause. Please visit callforcivility.com for more details. Callforcivility.com fighting for the soul of liberty and true pursuit of happiness for everyone. Freedom Fest 2023 is coming to the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll Memphis, Tennessee, July 12th through 15th. It's the ultimate summit for liberty, educating and empowering through art, music, film and comedy while promoting economic freedom and highlighting today's political issues. Use promo code ROUND50 to save 50 bucks off the current rate. Reserve your spot at FreedomFest.com See you in Memphis. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Rust, Rustcoin and Gift.com. Brian had to fly. Kelly Finnegan still with us. So the question uh, goes to you. You know what? Are we going to see uh, a huge gold spike? I'm more of a silver man than I am a gold guy, Brian. I'm Kelly, but I'm I'm, I'm more sorry, of a Kelly. Gold. Yeah, I'm more of a gold guy, you know. Okay, I'm, I, I meant to say I, I'm more of a silver guy with Brian. Sorry, Kelly. Right, right, but I but I'm more of a gold guy. You know, I tell people I want what Turkey and Russia and China and want. You know, and and when once silver's mined and used, it's gone, it's lost. So there there is that, but. Uh, Gold's the thing that they always talk about. We don't talk about a silver standard. We talk about a gold standard. So I, 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 I like gold. Do you believe uh, that gold's going to be uh, poised for a huge run? I think both of them are. I think silver has more potential. I tell people that, you know, if you like roller coasters, buy silver. If you can't stand a roller coaster and you'd rather ride the merry-go-round than buy gold. So it's a lot right, more. There you have thick. it. What about the idea of locking gold and silver together in some fashion like the Founding Fathers did and having some of both? That works great until they'll find, you know, if, when, when the California gold uh, deposits were found, you know, gold dropped, silver went up, and then they found the Comstock load of silver in Nevada, then silver, you know, dropped, and then gold went up, and then they found gold in the Yukon, and then silver went back, you know. So as long as they're not finding any new deposits, it works great. So, um, but you're saying in the real world, though, things change too much and you just can't force that reality. You got to let the free market. You can't lock them. You can't lock them together. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you got uh, serious things to contemplate there. What do you think of the gold back? You're pretty caught up on that too, right? Yeah. Like Brian said, I mean, they, 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 they're about five, five dollars per unit. And, uh, that's a thousandth of an ounce. So that's putting gold at $5,000 an ounce. So I'd rather have the physical for $2,000 an ounce, personally. Yeah, their, res- their get, responses, get, though, they built in this portability, this ability to deal with it digitally, this ability to take possession of some of it, store some of it in a vault, and, or vault. Uh, and, and the idea is, yes, 
it's more, but because they've fractionalized it, 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 it takes effort and support to ensure the, the stability and the integrity. And, and, yes, it's more, but it's divisible and usable is the idea, right? I guess, but I haven't seen it circulate. You know, there's a few places that'll take it. And, and, and they were smart to not call them dollars. They call them, you know, the units, one gold back, five gold back, because of the Norfed problem where they got sued because they used the dollar sign. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, if people, there's a lot of people that like them and want to use them, and that's fine. I, I'm not one of those people. But, I'm, uh, I'm into this competing currency idea, though. I really like this idea. If we're going to let the government uh, create currency like that that's fake, let everybody create some kind of a medium of exchange. Uh, I personally like barter, and I like precious metal. Uh, and, you know, I don't mind something that represents that because in the modern day you've got to deal with something that can – deal with the digital world if i want to pay somebody in florida it's very hard if i'm just locked down to gold and silver unless i mail it you know or something like that it's very hard to get people paid so you've got the modern world reality to deal with there's a little bit of the difficulty right yeah and there'll there'll be a time when there really will be depositories set up where people will put their and there's a few of those popping up where people are putting their gold and silver in there and then they can use a you know a card to to draw on that amount and they can transfer it to another account so I think we're going to have kind of like little hives of people that are going to be working together. So you'll have your network of people that you can, you know, a plumber and an electrician and an auto mechanic and a barber and a dentist and a doctor, and they'll all be involved in this. And so they're going to create these little co-ops. Uh, they're going to force these underground, unfortunately. They don't, they don't get it. How do you believe crypto prices We'll react to the latest Fed decision. This is kind of interesting because crypto has really led to a great degree the demise uh, of these um, slow domino failures everywhere. Crypto has been kind of at the center and the core front end of all this. How do you think it's going to respond to the Fed's move? Well, I just was reading that the Bitcoin actually fell after Jerome pushed that quarter percent. So it's been going up a little bit with gold and silver, and now people are, I think, realizing Holy crap! They're gonna they're gonna kill more banks when they raise this. I better get rid of my crypto because the next banks are gonna you know. I, I think it's the the Fed's really trying to kill these banks that are dealing with crypto. They 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 don't want a competitor, so they're gonna put those guys out of business first. And I think there's a few people that realize that. Yeah, they let those um, groups flourish to build kind of support in the marketplace for the crypto. And now what they're gonna do is run them out on a rail where government's gonna take over and fill that supposedly uh created demand void right it, it's the biggest rug pull you know they're all going to be standing there and cheering and all of a sudden you know it's like the tablecloth being pulled out and uh unfortunately they're not going to be left standing and there's going to be a lot of people lose a lot of money and you know there's people that they they love that stuff and you know good for you but i don't i, I like something i can hold and i understand and it's been around for a long time and in defense of the gold back, by the way, at least they've got something backed by gold, and at least they have an attempt to have honest money back their system uh, in some way, whereas a lot of these digital currencies uh, don't. Uh, and so, you know, taking possession, portability, flexibility, uh, those are key uh, principles. Now it turns out the New York grand jury was canceled on their Wednesday meeting. They were supposed to indict the Donald, arrest the Donald. Never happened. Then they had to cancel their meeting. And now there's a smoking gun. There's a 2018 letter from Michael Cohen's letter regarding um, Stormy's payments 
Cohen used his own funds and Trump never reimbursed him, Cohen claimed in the documented letter. Sworn before court and testimony, now he's reversing his statements. Uh, Cohen's not to be trusted, but they say that smoking gun. They say the fact that uh, all these things have, have changed in the case. Trump may not be arrested or indicted after all. What do you think is going to happen, Kelly? I, I think this is just a smoke and mirror thing just to get some publicity. You know, it's like they, everybody says, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and uh, yeah, you got a bunch of people in there. You can't trust a word they'll say, even under oath. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a nothing burger. Well, so you don't yeah. think that Trump will be arrested or indicted? I, he might be indicted, but I think it'll, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll, within two months, you won't hear about it anymore. By the way, Donald Trump raised $1.5 million in grassroots funding after he announced on Saturday he was going to get arrested over the weekend. He's already raised a million and a half dollars to make your point, Kelly. Oh, yeah. People are flocking. You know, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of support. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2024. You know, man, if I could if I could raise 1.5 million dollars, I could launch a news network so that we could get off the mainstream news. I could make this radio network run for quite a long time. There's a lot of things I could do if I could raise that kind of money or even half that money, even a tenth of that money, 150 thousand to make a huge difference to this radio network, Kelly. Well, and it's like listening about the about the uh, the attorney there in Manhattan got a million dollars for their last uh uh from george soros for uh their their campaign last time and it's like wow where's this money i can't donate a million dollars to anybody i hear that i wish we could i wish we could have some angel benefactors that can make a difference here we're looking for them libertyroundtable.com if you want to donate more than the uh, form will allow you to donate call me we'll get it done for you last story of the hour that i want to get your take on kelly do you remember greta thunberg who could forget Greta? All right. She's that little girl that was 16 years old at the time. She was a Swedish climate activist, Greta Thunberg. She was kind of autistic and everything else. And she spoke, and they gave her carte blanche access to the United Nations and everything else. Well, now it turns out that Greta Thunberg will receive an honorary doctorate degree in theology from the University of Helsinki in Finland, uh, it'll happen on June the 9th, the school announced in a press release. Now, while that's happening, turns out that Thunberg came under scrutiny recently for deleting a years-old tweet that she wrote that cited a claim that humans would grow extinct if fossil fuels were used still in 2023. She had to delete that dishonest fake news tweet, and then people are asking her why she deleted it. But now it's going to be Dr. Thunberg to you, sir. And it's funny she gets a, a doctorate in theology. She's not a very good prophetess, for sure. She also wants to blame her parents for everything. They're, they ruined the world. They stole her childhood from her. The whole world's coming to an end. She was nothing but a doomsdayer um, that's been proven false doomsdayer uh, now. And she gets a doctorate out of it? What is this world coming to? Yeah, her parents created a monster, and, and if you ever watch her when she's talking and uh, she's not reading off a script, she doesn't have any idea what to say. She just kind of laughs and says, does anybody else want to answer that question? So, yeah, it's uh, she's, she's a puppet. 
She's a puppet, but she's got her life made. They've turned her into a, a, a rock star climate change so-called expert uh, without any evidence, without any real credentials, without any real. Now they're trying to give her credentials by hook and by crook. Now it's Dr. Thunberg to you. And, and unless you really know what her doctorate's in, unless you really understand that it's honorary, unless you get that backstory, it makes her seem to be this educated rock star on the topic. When she's not, she's 20 years old. She's autistic, and she hasn't any credentials whatsoever, sir. None. Yeah, and I love, you know, the, the, the diversity, um, equity, and inclusion thing. DEI, that's uh, Latin for God, and that has become the God of the, the new wokesters. So I guess she's the new, like I said, the new the prophetess or religious leader the for goddess, that. The goddess, sir. She's a goddess. Is, is how yep. they're making her out to be. And ladies and gentlemen, this couldn't be more dishonest uh, in its delivery and its reality. It's just shocking how dishonest this really is um, because they're literally turning these people into experts. They don't have any clue whatsoever. Okay? She got carte blanche access to the United Nations. Literally the whole world, um, not that I agree with this, but you would call it the world body. Uh, of you know league of nations if you will kind of an idea and she got access to the whole thing and it turned out that hey her predictions were absolutely bogus false but yet she is lauded and promoted uh as the queen bee here and how dare you attack her because she's a woman how dare you attack her because she's autistic you can't say anything bad about her or criticize her or you become this um bigot this hater this uh climate change denier this your character will be assassinated while her character is elevated on a false pretense, Kelly. Well, and you know, all these climate, you know, well, what do you call them? Sirens that are telling us how bad things are and running around. I have not seen one of their predictions come true yet. And maybe even just one of them came true. Maybe I'd listen, but uh, there's no doubt that things are changing, but things have changed throughout the, the history of the world. So, yeah, it's yeah just ask the dinosaurs about that. Oh, yeah, you can't. And then also, you know, they always claim, man, we can't have Salt Lake dry up because if it did, it would be a, a catastrophe. Um, aren't we sitting where a lake used to be, Kelly? Uh, yeah, my brother-in-law used to say Lake Bonneville's not gone. It's just underground. So it's there. Well, there you have it. My whole point, ladies and gentlemen, is things change, as Kelly wisely suggests, and things are changing in the gold and silver markets. It's time to buy, in my opinion. That's just my opinion to which I'm entitled. RussCoinAndGift.com. That's RussCoinAndGift.com. you got a friend in the honest money business. Kelly, thank you so much, sir. Godspeed. Thank you very much. Brian Russ, Kelly Finnegan, RussCoinAndGift.com, LibertyRoundtable.com for donations, LovingLiberty.net. God save the republic. Live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This is the broadcast for March 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our two of two in the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, 
through so on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America. In that document, there are checks and balances, ladies and gentlemen. That is the key to our restoration. Using the checks and balances to make America great again, we can do it. And we need your help. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. And like clockwork, Pete Sepp, president of the National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Welcome back, my friend. Always great to be here. There's so much to discuss, so little time. It seems like everybody's distracted, but the debt ceiling (laughs) reality uh, is coming, and it's coming like a freight train. And everybody's, uh, in my opinion, uh, guilty of dereliction of duty while they're absolutely distracted with the most mundane stuff. It's not even funny, Pete. Yeah, I mean, what can be more important than the fiscal future of this country? And members of Congress would rather talk about anything else. That's a problem. I mean, the debt ceiling is obviously a controversial topic. There are plenty of folks who are well-meaning who say, well, we don't want to come anywhere close to testing the credit worthiness of the United States of America. On the other hand, we have to be very careful and mindful of what brought us here. And, you know, Barack Obama, when he was president, used to say that not approving a debt ceiling increase is like getting a big bill at a restaurant after eating a fine meal and just skipping out on it. Well, failing to figure out why we're overspending and just approving the debt ceiling willy-nilly is like getting that bill at the restaurant and handing it to a kid in a high chair at the table next to you. That's just as bad. We have to think of both problems here and deal with them accordingly. I bring that up because, you know, the National Taxpayers Union is one of the greatest think tanks in the country, providing solutions, not just problems, but highlighting concerns, uh, highlighting difficulties we face, but then providing real think tank answers and solutions in productive ways uh, to improve things. You guys have been working on this kind of stuff. And I think that this translates into a broader discussion than just the debt ceiling, does it not? Yeah, it certainly does. It translates into a discussion about President Biden's budget that was recently submitted to Congress, translates into discussions about how we portray the national debt and our federal spending and revenue picture to the average American taxpayer. That's the job of the Congressional Budget Office and the Office of Management and Budget, it translates even into the state and local level, where frankly, there's a lot more innovation in fiscal policy going on than what you see at the federal level. Some of it bad, but a lot of it good. And Washington DC needs to start learning those lessons from their colleagues at lower levels of government. I wouldn't even call them lower levels of government. That's kind of an insult. I would say levels of government closest to the people who want to make a difference in the way governments spend money and tax. All right, I want to talk about this a little bit. What are they going to do for the debt ceiling? Kevin McCarthy is going to extract a few token whatevers, and they're just going to shove it through. Is that what's on the on the docket? I'm not so sure. I think that this is going to be a very important moment for 
many folks in the GOP on the House side, especially, who have said, look, uh, Kevin McCarthy is speaker because we have demanded certain things to happen prior to any increase in the federal debt ceiling. That includes significant reductions in federal spending. It includes votes on things such as a constitutional amendment to require a balanced budget going forward. Uh, I'm all for those kinds of votes. As a practical matter, those votes will not get the two-thirds majority needed to send those amendments to ratification uh, in the states. So really, we need to focus on the here and now, which is winning important budget process reforms that are bipartisan and having an honest discussion that results in a serious slowdown in federal spending. I'm not even thinking that there needs to necessarily be massive cuts, although that's what some members of the GOP are talking about, just roll things back to fiscal year 22 levels. That doesn't seem to be too heavy of a lift, considering that in fiscal year 2022, we were still spending a whole lot of money on pandemic relief, defense spending was increasing, entitlement spending was increasing. I don't see how it should be that difficult for Washington, D.C. to say, you know what we were doing uh, two, well, a year and a half ago? Let's just do that again and learn to live with a little bit less. All right. I find that interesting because there's so many uh, line items we can discuss and so many details we can discuss. But the fundamentals are simple, Pete. We have got to decrease government programs. We've got to decrease spending. And I think if we just really went through in a real serious exercise, Donald talked about it but never really did it uh, holistically like he could have. But, look, every department simply needs to say, look, you're going to cut 10% of your budget. Uh, You're going to find ways to do it that's the least impactful. Get it done. Provide a report. Uh, We could take action and not even feel it in a serious way, Pete. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And, in fact, we've already done some of that work on a bipartisan basis. There's an exercise we go through with an organization called the U.S. PERG, Public Interest Research Group Education Fund. Uh, They describe themselves as a left-of-center organization. So these are not uh, super conservative folks. And yet um, we managed to identify hundreds of billions of dollars in spending reductions that we could both agree upon. Uh, Let's start um, eliminating the Asia Foundation, the East-West Center also. That's $357 million. Um, Reform how the U.S. Mint uh, has its composition of metals in coinage, $150 million. Uh, Eliminate certain payments in the Abandoned Mine Restoration Program, $1.15 billion. There are dozens of recommendations here across all kinds of federal spending, including defense spending, that we could agree upon. Here's a blueprint to start with. Members of Congress may not enact at all. They may come up with other ideas. But here's how to get the conversation going. And that's really the quintessential point because everybody's kind of going into this, uh, literally staking out their positions. 
Uh, for example, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy is like, hey, Social Security, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, n- none of that's even on the table for discussion. Well, they've got to do something or the system won't be able to continue to run long term. So I yeah. don't see how we start staking out these positions of untouchables, if you will, third rail of politics kind of an idea. If we do that and we take too much off the table, we can't take off um, um, foreign aid. Oh, we can't take off uh, national defense. Oh, we can't take off education. Oh, we can't take off. Pretty soon there's nothing left to discuss that's meaningful. Yes, that's uh, am I exactly crazy on right. this? No, not at all. And the crazy thing is, as you were just alluding to, Sam, Social Security is going to have troubles on its own automatically. In less than 10 years, we are facing a meltdown of the so-called trust fund. We could do a whole show on why there's no trust and no fund there, but let's use Washington's language here. When that happens, when Social Security can no longer pay out all of its promised benefits, when all of the interest payments uh, the trust fund has received have run out, there will be an immediate one-third reduction in benefits unless Congress acts. So Social Security is going to get cut automatically if Congress does nothing. Shouldn't Congress do something that's a little more conscious, a little more thoughtful now so that we avoid that kind of outcome? Wow. You know, when you think about that, it's something that either we will decide intelligently. In other words, um, we will be intentional about this or it's just going to run over us like a freight train. And it's going to be a, uh, in my opinion, nothing but a disaster, a fiasco. I mean, there's not really an in the middle choice, is there? No, there isn't. Uh, You know, there are, I'm sure, some members of Congress who think, well, you know, the year before the whole thing goes bust, we'll just raise payroll taxes. And you think, okay, by how much? Well, about the same amount you'd see with the automatic benefit cut, one third. What would that do to America? What would that do especially to low wage workers? You know, they're not necessarily paying federal income taxes of any consequence, but right off the top, the very first dollar they earn has upwards of 12.4% taken out for Social Security taxes. The so-called employee share is half. The so-called employer's share is the other half. But really, it's the employee that pays both halves. That's what we face as a crisis Do you want to have an extra 4% taken off the top of your paycheck? I don't think so. Pete Sepp with me, ladies and gentlemen, president of NTU.org, the National Taxpayers Union. You know, this, this topic is so large. People don't know where to start. Let's talk about where the conversations should start and what components are a must, shall we? Former Sheriff Richard Mack recounts in his book the proper role of law enforcement, how he came to realize while working as a beat cop how wrong the all-too-common orientation of police officers is when they think of their job as being to write tickets and arrest people. Richard Mack tells of his personal transformation from by-the-number cop to constitution-conscious defender of citizen safety and freedoms. Learn what it really means to serve and protect. Purchase your copy at CSPOA.org. That's CSPOA.org. Do you know what is great about America? Ask an immigrant. 
Ask an Immigrant is a new podcast dedicated to helping Americans, especially our youth, value, appreciate, and be grateful for the freedoms we have here in America. Join host Lydia Wallace-Nuttle as she interviews immigrants from around the world to discover their inspiring personal stories about why they came to America. To learn more about why America is the most prosperous, greatest country in the world, download the Loving Liberty app or go to lovingliberty.net. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. I think that my family has always had a big influence on me for not smoking because since I was little I was taught that smoking was wrong. Recent studies indicate that smoking among teens often leads to the use of alcohol and other drugs. I think having faith in God is a big part in it because the way I was raised has helped to avoid smoking. Smoking. If you think you're old enough to start, you're smart enough to stop. A public service message from this station and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Live and on your radio, Sam Bushman, Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. So really the topic is so massive, it's hard to know where to start. Where do we start with this kind of discussion to bring people together as opposed to just stake out your positions and die on that hill? Um, how do we bring people together? Where do we start the conversation? And what are musts in the conversation, Pete? Well, I think we can start here by looking at the work of the United States Senate Budget Committee. There you had in a previous Congress, Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, who is now the chair of the Senate Budget Committee. And you had Mike Enzi, Republican from Wyoming. Uh, he has since passed away, but Several years ago, they came up with an entire budget process reform plan, things like a biennial budget, meaning that money gets appropriated in one year, and then they spend the second year reviewing how the money was spent in depth. That's a change to the current process where Congress just lets the money fly out the door every year and has very little follow-up. There are many other points of that budget process reform that involve the president, that involve things um, such as sequestration. I mean, those are all very important, highly technical things, but they're a good place to start. Then we take a look at some of these bipartisan budget recommendations for specific spending items. Some of the NTU Foundation and U.S. PERG report that I mentioned in the last segment, that would be a good place to start. But there are still other bills. Uh, the Preventing Improper Payments Act, that's sponsored by Utah's own Congressman Blake Moore and a Democrat from Virginia, Abby Spanberger. Uh, that would automatically designate all federal programs making more than $100 million in payments a year as susceptible to significant improper payments, and that would subject the uh, program to enhanced reporting requirements. So that's kind of an early warning system. Uh, you've got fair value accounting, which is uh, a way that 
portrays properly federal credit and loan programs. Uh, the current way of reporting it makes them appear a lot cheaper than they really are. That's Congressman Ralph Norman, Republican from South Carolina, and Ed Case, who's a Democrat from Hawaii. There's plenty of other bills like this where Democrats and Republicans have gotten together. And I think those are good places to start. I think one of the things that really put a fly in the ointment, so to speak, are these people, um, uh, the majority leader, the minority leader, the this, the that, the speaker, the... It seems like a lot of people really want to work on this, and people have really good hearts and genuine desires and, and real solutions and efforts they put on the table. What happens, though, is is one or two people, three people, whatever you want to say, literally control the schedule, control the docket and to the point where it never gets anywhere. Uh, and I right. think we've really got to start to change that narrative as well uh, because we're governing by the few at the expense of the many. Yes, that's exactly right. We hear that from legislative staff all the time when we say, well, look at all of these lists of bills. I mean, we've even called them uh, by what their name should be, no-brainers. Every year we come up with uh, 10, even a dozen pieces of legislation that are bipartisan in nature and ought to be easy to pass given how many co-sponsors they've got. And we hear back from staff saying, well, but the floor calendar for debate is really tight this year. Uh, we don't think we're going to be able to get to it because we've got too many more important things like appropriations bills ahead of them. And that's when we say, well, that's crazy because all of these things can help to control appropriations to a better degree and keep us from getting so close to this debt ceiling in a repetitive fashion. So they need to find the time and they need to use the time they have more constructively. That's all you have to do. Why in the world do we have this year-end spectacle annually where Congress in the last two weeks of the session in December is suddenly debating trillions of dollars in new spending and trillions of dollars in taxes? It should be more deliberative and thoughtful throughout the year. It's the most important thing that Congress does is fiscal policy. And there's two ways to go about improving the nation's financial wherewithal or financial stability or whatever you want to call it, financial outlook. There's a lot of words uh, that highlight the, the point I'm making here. But one way is for government to reduce spending. And I think that's a, a given must, absolutely must happen, or uh, the trains are rolling and we're going to get crushed. But the other way, which people don't think about much, is this. We could make government more efficient to where um, it didn't, in a backhanded way, steal more money off my financial plate, Pete. And let me explain and then have you respond. Um, I right now file my taxes. Uh, but when I do, I have to have a, a, a CPA look at it because I have businesses and all this stuff. I have to spend a ton of money gathering information getting it in a format with a bookkeeper that all the CPAs can look at and determine. Then the CPAs have got to be caught up every year. Then I spend a chunk of money on getting my taxes even filed. When I'm done, I'm not even confident that it's done right. I sure hope so, but I don't know. So I kind of live in a little bit of trepidation and fear, but I've spent a bunch of money on it. The amount of time and expense that it takes to get all that done. And I look at it and I say, if we could just fix that, I don't have any problem paying my fair share. I really don't. I have a problem, though, with what it takes 
to do my fair share. When I get done, I'm exhausted. I want to go out to dinner and celebrate because I'm just like, holy crap, it's over finally once again. I hope I'm uh, out of dodge. Uh, wow. Um, but they could literally change this game and do apportionment taxes. The states would then uh, just be apportioned. Uh, you wouldn't need to track it on an individual basis. There'd be nothing to discuss. If there's 3 million people in the state of Utah, hey, we have three one millionths uh, of the whole 330 million piece of that pie on the federal level and on the state level. We could do apportionment taxes. We could do tariffs at the borders to where none of the taxes were direct. It could be so simple. It's, it's just a no-brainer discussion. We could solve this. And if we did, I would literally receive a rise in my available time given back to me and in my income literally instantly and then i wouldn't live in fear at all either isn't this doable pete it is doable and in fact it's quantifiable Uh, every year we put out uh, an, an analysis of tax complexity in other words how much time does uh the private sector spend just trying to comply with the U.S. tax laws at the federal level, not state and local, just the federal level. And how much money do we spend out of pocket on things like tax software or accounting services? In the last year that we had done that analysis, the total compliance burden of the federal income tax system is conservatively, conservatively estimated at 300 $39 billion, with a B, dollars. That does not even account for the value of your time placed somewhere else. It's only the value of your time averaged out as to uh, what the typical private sector compensation is. Imagine all the innovation that could happen with uh, all this free time or more time you have to spend with your families your kids become better adjusted better educated more time you can spend helping out your church all of these things have a value in them that we've not even calculated my guess would be that we could easily put half a trillion five hundred billion dollars back into the economy with a simpler tax system imagine that a 500 billion dollar a year stimulus, if you will, and not one dollar of it would come from taxpayers. It would be coming back to taxpayers. What do you think of my general jettisoning of direct taxation and saying apportionment taxes at the state and the federal level, uh, along with, uh, you know, excise taxes or or taxes that are um, uh, at the border tariffs and things like that? You could have no direct taxes on the people. You wouldn't have to monitor anybody. You wouldn't have right now. They've basically turned at first. People are like, oh, sales tax would be awesome. But now that I study this sales tax uh, with a lot that's going on um, now, you're basically charged in every single county and city. And I mean, it takes a rocket scientist mammoth piece of high tech technology to even comply with all the different rules that have come from this uh, latest um, sales tax state by state uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction discussion it's not even funny compliance is super expensive if you can get it done at all pete yeah that's right and you'd have another benefit from indirect taxes sam because the founders recognized this indirect taxes make the federal government automatically more accountable to the states and the people it's a little harder to play funny money 
with indirect taxes than direct ones, we would have a smaller, more transparent federal government as well. I don't even know these days that small businesses can be compliant with the taxes and the rules and the jurisdictions. I don't even think it's possible without great expense and a third party helping them. And even then it's dubious at best. We'll talk about that with Pete Sepp in seconds. You are listening to the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Pursuing Liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. The Federal Reserve fighting for the financial system in the United States continued to fight inflation by raising the interest rate. Banks pay for money another quarter percentage point yesterday. At least one person is injured after an F1 tornado ripped through Montebello, California in East Los Angeles. This high school student was in class when the tornado hit. All of a sudden, we open the door a little bit, and then we just see like a gust of wind starting to build up, and then it just like got faster and faster. The National Weather Service confirmed the unusual tornado touched down Wednesday morning. 17 structures were damaged. The tornado stayed on the ground between two and three minutes and had a maximum wind speed of 110 miles per hour. The Manhattan, New York grand jury investigating former President Trump's role in a non-disclosure agreement payment to Stormy Daniels was instructed not to meet Wednesday. The district attorney's office notified court officials about the change in plans. The grand jury is now scheduled to reconvene today. At least 68 people across the United States are now known to have been infected by contaminated eye drops, killing three, blinding eight, and leaving four others needing an eyeball surgically removed. The over-the-counter drops by Care and Delsum Pharma, first recalled in February, have now been linked to cases in 16 states. The CDC reissued the warning this week. Nearly 200 years after Ludwig von Beethoven's death, researchers at the University of Cambridge pulled DNA strands from Beethoven's hair, searching for clues about health problems that plagued him. They did find a genetic risk for liver disease plus a liver-damaging hepatitis B infection in the last months of his life. These factors, along with chronic drinking, were probably enough to cause liver failure and his death in Vienna 168 years ago this Sunday. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We are USA News. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and I have a question for you. You know that unwelcome guest everyone wishes would just leave already? That's COVID-19. That's why I got an updated booster designed to help protect against recent Omicron variants. Got it? Check eligibility and schedule your updated COVID booster at vaccines.gov. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Hi, this is Joe Cordell with the law firm Cordell & Cordell. When the prospect of divorce becomes a reality, you need a partner that you can count on. If you're a man in this situation, consider contacting Cordell & Cordell. We've helped men navigate complex legal matters for 30 years. Contact Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firms online at CordellCordell.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. Online at CordellCordell.com. CordellCordell.com. All 
All right, Pete Sepp with me, National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. So really, I, I submit to you this tax compliance issue is a big one. Um, people are just ran around to death. I don't know that a small company could even get started and be tax compliant. Um, there, there's so much money spent. So much, it's, it's so difficult. I've worked as an IT consultant for small business, and it's very, very, very tough for them to get compliant. Uh, it's expensive, and it's, it's, it's dubious if they can even get it done and feel good about it. Pete? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the $80 billion of additional funding the IRS just received will not I repeat, will not help the matters without serious guardrails and taxpayer protections. You know, when Congress passed that additional funding in uh, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, I say so-called because it's done nothing for inflation except make it worse. Um, when that passed, all Congress really wanted out of it, and here it's the Democratic caucus, not the Republican one, all they wanted out of it was to hit a revenue target. They thought, well, $80 billion in additional funding, pour it into enforcement. We'll probably get three or four times that much money back in revenues. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think, number one, uh, the government itself doesn't understand the tax law much more than taxpayers do. Number two, putting all that money in enforcement resources doesn't necessarily guarantee a return because there are taxpayers willing to defend themselves in court. Number three, the Internal Revenue Service has a history of bad record keeping, failing to meet its own internal management deadlines, not updating its own IT systems. So all of that's going to weigh pretty heavily against them collecting what they hope to collect from this additional $80 billion. And just as we were discussing, Sam, think of all the additional stress that this is going to put on small businesses. They're going to be thinking even more about how they could possibly comply with this mountain of tax paperwork. Nobody will be safe, not big businesses, not small ones. And it's not, again, it's not that we don't even want to pay. It's that it's so impossible to do so and to comply it's financially difficult. It, it's it's a nightmare from a look. There's thousands of jurisdictions in America with different taxing details. There's already three thousand plus counties in the country. Not to mention all the cities in different jurisdictions, and some cities even have different tax codes. I mean, it is a nightmare. There's a couple other things I want to ask you about. I know you got to fly uh, at the end of this segment, Pete. So I want to get a couple of these things in. There's an article that talks about a coalition letter to support anti-claw legislation. Nicholas John's on your website that's really important for people to learn about. Pete? Oh, yes, indeed. What these are, uh, the PLAs, that's um, project labor agreements. And project labor agreements are basically union-sponsored provisions that create a condition of winning construction contracts whenever federal taxpayer funds are involved. In other words, if you give a grant with uh, federal taxpayer money to do something with the Department of Defense, a new weapons system, or build a road, or engage in a transit project, it has to be done with union labor. And that requires contractors to sign a collective bargaining agreement with workers if they want to get the taxpayer funds. And, of course, there might be many listeners who say, well, okay, 
Why shouldn't a contractor pay a fair wage? Well, there's a difference sometimes between a fair wage and a union inflated wage. And a union inflated wage doesn't always benefit workers. In fact, if the wage goes so high that the contractor can't necessarily afford to hire as many people, workers can actually lose out. I mean, that's what I've been saying for years with increases in the federal minimum wage. Yes, sure, they will boost the wages of millions of workers, but it will also lay off millions of workers as businesses say, well, okay, if I have to pay you $15, $20, $25 an hour, fine, but my workforce is now going to shrink from five to four or five to three. And suddenly you have people out of work as well. That's a consequence of these kinds of mandates. And so we got together a coalition of organizations ranging from 60 plus to the American Consumer Institute to Freedom Works uh, and the Taxpayers Protection Alliance to say, we've got to put a halt to this. We can't keep attaching so many strings out there that we actually hurt workers on these contracts instead of help them. And the real issue is, should a by force union and or the government decide what fair wages are? Or should that be free exchange by individuals and groups that are set up that are not forced in nature, that are not mandated, uh, that are free association organizations? Um, you can literally back this off, but still uh, have that protection. There's a way. And it doesn't mean government force or special privilege. Pete? Yes, that's right. That's why there's a bill in Congress called the Fair and Open Competition Act uh, that was introduced by a House member, James Comer of Kentucky, and on the Senate side by Todd Young of Indiana. And it would simply say that federal agencies and grantees are not required to sign these project labor agreements as a condition of winning construction contracts. You gotta love it, ladies and gentlemen. Quickly, which states are best for remote workers, Pete? Oh, yes. This is what's called the Rome Index, where uh, we have put together, uh, based on several factors, the friendliest states. In other words, do they reach across their borders and tax you, even if you're not working there? Uh, do they have reciprocity agreements uh, with other states so you're not double taxed? So. We have all kinds of uh, state rankings available. Look at, for example, uh, Montana. Look at Maine. Look at West Virginia. Look at Wisconsin. They are all highly ranked, in other words, good ranked states for remote workers. Um, take a look at uh, Utah. That ranks number 21. Um, not a bad place to be. Well, but then there are the bad places. California ranks number 40. Not surprisingly, New York, number 47. They always want their money. But then a few surprises. Nebraska, Arkansas, Mississippi ranked very low on our index. In other words, very poor for remote workers to be. Where does Texas sit? It's a huge state, too. Texas uh, ranks really well because they have zero income tax. And uh, that right away means that they have a much harder time reaching across their borders or letting other states reach into their borders. 
and tax remote workers. So if you want to be a remote worker in Texas, you're in pretty good shape there. And you're surrounded by states like Louisiana, which rank pretty well, Arkansas, not so well, Oklahoma, New Mexico, so-so. But it's all together a really good place to be if you're a remote worker. All right, last topic before we got to let you fly. Bipartisan legislation would cut off pensions to corrupt politicians. Damian Brady with this piece on NTU.org. Pete? Yeah, this has been a long-standing issue. Lawmakers convicted of serious crimes can still collect taxpayer-funded pensions. We've had two laws in 2007 and 2012 to try to stamp this out. And still they get around it. You know, they they don't serve long enough or the crime they commit is not on the list to deprive them of the pension. This new bill sponsored by Jackie Rosen, Democrat of Nevada, and Rick Scott, Republican of Florida, would close all the loopholes and would say, if you're a member of Congress uh, and you've been sentenced to jail, You don't get any kinds of appeals. You forfeit your pension. And if you win your appeal later, you get your money back. But you don't get to keep filing appeal after appeal after appeal and keep your pension. This has happened with quite a number of lawmakers, unfortunately. How likely is this to pass this time? I know you've said we've had two quote runs at this in 07 and 12. Do you think that it's going to take off this time? Yes, I do. I think that This time, we have sufficient momentum in both the Democratic and Republican caucuses to finally close this loophole. We've had several attempts, as I said, and I think that this may be the year where members of Congress finally get enough of a sense of shame to go ahead and do it. In fact, uh, we came very close um, last Congress and uh, we, uh, we expect that this will come to a vote on the Senate side pretty soon. Pete Sepp, thank you so much for your time, sir. Godspeed. Godspeed, sir. Take care. There he goes, Mr. Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, your partner on the most local level all the way down to the general government level. They can help you with think tank information, with partnership guidance and direction and funding and everything in between. NTU.org. God bless them in their work. In message one, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8:44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13, 2. The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present-day, end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm seven years old. I'm sitting here in the corner having a time out until Mom comes to talk to me. 
all I did was cut my sister's hair. I was just trying to help. I guess Mom didn't like how I did it. In a minute, she'll be back and ask me if I know what I did was wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have cut her hair. And she'll say we all make mistakes because we're just learning about stuff. And she'll give me a hug and we'll end up talking about more stuff. No matter what you talk to your kids about, love is what they'll hear. I really like Mom's timeouts. And I think she likes them too. Yeah, I think they help her remember how much she loves me. A thought from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Visit us at mormon.org. Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Late-breaking headline right now. You know they canceled the grand jury proceedings for the Donald uh, Wednesday in a blow-up reality check. Uh, they had that witness testify, that attorney that blew everything up, Michael Cohen, um, questionable testimony. Now this letter from Michael Cohen showing that he swore to the previous courts that, uh, you know what, Donald didn't know about it or give him anything. Now he's reversing that. So the credibility crisis for Cohen taking center stage. But it gets worse now because now Trump hush money grand jury will not meet for the rest of the week. I guess they're going to meet, but on different topics today. So now they canceled it for Thursday or Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, it's starting to blow up in their face, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, they uh, are fearful now that what's going to happen is this guy, this brag guy, if he proceeds with this very, very questionable legal strategy, um, that he could be in jail. Why? Because the 600 pages of exculpatory evidence that was withheld is now the main focus. What are we going to give jurors? What can the jurors see? What can the jurors know? How much of our legal strategy should we let the jurors find out about? Should he continue with recommending uh, indictments for the Donald to these jurors? Should he not even put it on the table for the jury? What will the jury do with what information? If we let the jury move forward and make decisions without the proper information, then what happens? Will there be a countersuit? What will occur? That is all front and center right now. And the bottom line is this Bragg character and others, they're scrambling. They want the jury just to go home and, or not touch it, focus on something else while they get time to recalibrate their legal strategy. Meanwhile, Donald smirks and submits more explosive witness testimony, destroying all credibility of the witch hunt, etc. Now, sadly, Donald's raising a ton of money. He raised a million and a half dollars on this he was going to be arrested thing donald wants this to be a spectacle because the more of a spectacle it becomes the more high profile it becomes the more abusive they are to donald that's publicly um viewed if you will the better position donald will be in for the 2024 elections the more donald gets abused the more people love him and say we got to defend against this like or dislike donald this is uncalled for and wrong and it's got to stop 
So now even Democrats and people that don't even like or agree with Trump in any way are saying, you know what? This is insane. The longer the jury waits, the more the court of public opinion turns against these uh, prosecutors. Uh, And now they've already poisoned the well with using Michael Cohen as their star witness. This guy has got a credibility crisis a gazillion miles long. And now the dovetail of this very questionable legal strategy, people are starting to understand it. Let me explain it to you in very simple terms. Cohen paid this chick, Stephanie Clifford or Stormy Daniels, this porn star, money to keep quiet, says the story. The problem is Cohen paid money to her. I don't think that's debatable. What's debatable is did Michael do that on his own? Or was it under instructions from the Donald? That's first. Well, Cohen swore in testimony before in a letter that he did it on his own and Donald knew nothing about it. Neither did Donald's staff. Now he flips 180 degrees and said, no, I was doing the bidding of the Donald. But there's no evidence or proof of that. It's his word against Donald's word. It's his word against his own word. Do you see what a credibility crisis that is for a witness, folks? Wow. In addition now, 600 pages of exculpatory evidence withheld from the defense and the jury. And you go, wait a minute now. And now the plot thickens. What did Donald know versus what he didn't know? And you're not going to be able to prove any of that. Well, the legal strategy is is simple. Hey, Donald made payments to a porn star. That's a, a misdemeanor. No biggie, right? But then they turn around and, well, some of that was used for the campaign. In a very unique way, they turn this now first crime into a second crime. The second crime, if connected to the first crime, would make this misdemeanor a felony, you see, because it's now federal campaign finance violations. But the problem is you can't even prove Michael Cohen and Donald Trump had an agreement. You can't prove there's fuzzy business dealings there because you can't prove that Donald gave money to Michael in a backhanded way for this purpose. You can't prove that. See, Michael Cohen and Donald were strategically careful enough, whether you like it or not, to where the fixer got it fixed. And the problem is now the fixer's trying to betray Donald, but the fixer was too good. It doesn't matter if Donald paid the porn star or not, or Michael Cohen, or anybody else paid the porn star. It doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It's a misdemeanor at best. And then you can't tie that to Michael's business and Donald's business to say there was a payment that's a quid quid pro quo on this topic. There is no evidence. So that, along with the 600 pages of exculpatory evidence, along with the very tenuous legal strategy, puts Bragg in a bind. And he thought he could move forward with this, but he's got a rude awakening here. And now he's in absolute paranoid scramble mode. I just thought I'd make sure you understood that. All right? The hush money grand jury will not meet for the rest of the week. They're hoping to have something together by Monday that'll make sense. Now, I got another interesting story for you. That's very, very, very interesting. It's an exclusive, and it's from the Gateway Pundit. Joe Hoft, 
wrote this article. You know, uh, the Hoff family, I guess, started the Gateway Pundit. But they say it's exclusive. Election system now discovered. Used in multiple states. Did you hear me? A election system is now discovered, used in multiple states, internet connected, uncertified, and accessible to numerous government agencies and outside entities. Yeah, a team of election experts in the state of New Mexico uncovered an election system that is being used in that state and multiple other states that do not comply with election laws. I'm resting my case on fraud, am I not? Those who claim we make these statements without evidence, listen to me carefully, would you please? Election experts in New Mexico have established, listen, that the post-election canvas reports in all 33 New Mexico counties are being illegally prepared. Complete election records are being uploaded to an uncertified, centralized software under the control of the Secretary of State. So-called service, which has been used to create the official election results. It's all illegal. Do you hear me? Use of any uncertified software for the, listen, for this part of the election process is a violation of federal and state law. In other words, it's highly illegal. Yeah, you're not allowed to have any access to any of the election data from any county until the elections have been certified. That's right. According to the experts, when the legal, when the illegal canvas process is complete, well, I guess Dominion deleted a lot of the information from their systems violating law because by law it must be kept for 22 months. A South Dakota company by the name of BPRO, that's the letter B is in Bravo, BPRO, gifted their, quote, total vote software to New Mexico in exchange for a series of what would turn out to be very lucrative sole source contracts to develop a customized interface between the SOS clerks and total vote. They called the thing IRIS. It was renamed Service-Wide State Election Registration and Voting Integrity System. This was done back in 2017, folks, and now it's just being discovered. <laughs> and you say there's no fraud, huh? Let's dig into B-Pro along with Connex, shall we? Wow. According to the B-Pro website, Total Vote, that's the software, 
is a centralized voter registration and election management system that securely captures and manages voter, candidate, and all election information. It's the first time a single-sourced solution has controlled all aspects of the voting process. Wow, folks. All election information. It is the only software system that encompasses the entire election process into one system. Wow, folks. They don't have any certifications at total vote at all. To date, New Mexico has paid BPRO a total of $2,700,000 in upkeep to use their total vote system. From reviewing the contracts, this thing took years to develop. And limited election data is uploaded the night of elections. Anyway, the bottom line is they upload things in batches at different times. Then they create this distribution data is available holistically. So in other words, they upload it pieces at a time. And then something happens. And then they make it available for, quote, consumption. But state law only allows for aggregated data, not data from the individual ballots to be used. And the most disturbing part of the discovery is it shows how they're supposed to transfer data to and from the system. U.S. memory sticks and read-only mode are being used to move data from the Dominion server. Yeah. Anyway, why do we need to transfer information to and from? And why is it in read-only mode first and then in read-only write mode? later the corrupted results could be backloaded onto the company's servers this way the service program is internet connected as well and contrary to what we've been told about all these systems they lied they got caught more evidence of election fraud in your face people this is the one and only liberty roundtable live we need your funding libertyroundtable.com loving liberty dot net